To perform this seance, I will need something personal of the deceased. Please bring me Greg's beer fridge and Denny's wrestling toy collection. Perfect. Ba-na. Quote of Raven, Eye of Dog, let the dead remove the log that covers their graves and rise again. May they begin podcasting without disdain. Oh my god, we're floating in our clothes, but we're decaying. We're rotting. Someone's going to have to summon a rapey poltergeist to turn us back into humans. Oh no. I hope they're scared oh no. of this. What are we going to do? Ooh. Oh, but people can't hear us. Yeah, this is this is really a visual intro. <laughs> you guys could see us right now. You would see that Greg and I have like a lot of prosthetic makeup on, making it look like our corpses are rotting, and we're both wearing our wedding clothes. And I'm floating off the table. It's How wild. Cool is that? How cool is that? <laughs> There's gonna oh, be some man. teenage Winona Ryder type that sells herself into sexual slavery uh, just to rescue us. How sweet. Oh man. Summarize it, Lydia. Just give me the deets. Um, hey! Denny. That was good. We're not actually married and we're not actually decaying. So who are we? What are we doing? What's happening here? Well, this is, with sadness and with excitement, mm-hmm. the final week of spooky season. Uh, it only comes once a year and we make it last as long as we possibly can on this podcast, but... It's time to start putting it away, but we're not doing that without three more horrifically delightful bangers. Um, We are doing this week a Nightmare on Elm Street, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and though we know we should be wary, we venture someplace scary. Ghostly haunting we turn loose. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice, baby. We are. My doing... understanding <clears throat> is that it's the full title. Yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's actually uh, the start of the theme song from Beetlejuice, the animated series. But <laughs> I think Ooh. it sounds pretty neat. Um, yeah, no, man, we've got some uh, some real. Uh, I guess the word would be seminal entries in the horror genre this week. I-, I think this is a really, really strong way to finish our spooky binge. Um, I mean, like. Dude, Nightmare on Elm Street, Texas Chainsaw, and Beetlejuice. Those are A-list titles, right? Like, these are... These oh, are, absolutely. These are big deal movies. I'm excited about this week. Smash hits of the genre. I'm glad we finally got around to them. Uh, yeah, we've had an excellent spooky season, I'll say. It's all been mm-hmm. building to this, but I loved the whole journey along the way. Maybe with the exception of most of last week, but, uh, you know. <laughs> we already talked about that, so whatever. So, yeah, these are some great movies. Thank you to the audience for selecting Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes. Uh, The thing is, though, yeah, we only put good movies on the poll. You guys just picked one of the good movies. (laughs) We had to to give you guys fewer options after the Scooby-Doo fiasco from last week. Rut-row. You're on probation, audience. (laughs) (laughs) But not for too long. So yeah, this is Movies for When It's Halloween 2, because we did do this last year. We also discussed Halloween 2, all three Halloween 2s in this series. 
on our uh, most recent Patreon episode of what else we've been watching. It wasn't all horror movies. There's a good mix of stuff in there. And that episode is actually going to be... What's the word? Starts with an F and it rhymes with free? Um, can a word rhyme with itself? That's right. It's free, folks. <laughs> I will not be putting it behind the paywall. Uh, small announcement. The Patreon is going to have a little bit of a hiatus. Um, we we started it maybe a few weeks before like the busiest time period of my life. And... <laughs> Denny's also like things are ramping up for him, so it's like yes. maybe we should pump the brakes on kicking out an extra hour or so of content every week, which involves watching a lot more things. So yeah, if it was just the content, that would be one thing. But like, like I I, I can sit down for an hour and record an extra Patreon episode, but like we have to watch so much more shit, you know. And that's mm -hmm. that's also why we're changing up our format of uh, the main show too. Do we want to big announcement? Big yes, we do. Big announcement. The show is changing. Speaking of us being busy, um, we've been doing this for, it's been almost a year and a half, like maybe a couple weeks away from being like 18 straight months with like two, maybe three breaks. Yeah. Like total ever. God, we've done do do that? Uh, sheer, <laughs> sheer fucking will. Uh, what's that John <laughs> Wick quote? We have done reason to remember the name was the <laughs> there we go <laughs> it's Fort minor quote it's gotten to the point where since starting the podcast we have done 180 movies holy shit have we after really... this week we're doing our 180th movie this week and wow. i'm not saying we're getting burnt out on doing it i'm saying that it's way harder well yeah <laughs> When watching movies you want to watch starts feeling like a chore, you got to switch things up a little bit. So yeah. not much is going to change in terms of like the idea of the show, how we're going to run things and like the selection process for movies. We're still going to have a theme. We're going to do three movies for it. But the main change is we're going to be doing one movie a week. So if we do... Um, you know, if we were doing movies for when you want to accept yourself, we're going to do one movie one week, and then the next movie we'll just do one movie a week so we can space it out a little bit more. We have a little bit more time to find the time to watch the movies, give a little more thought to them, have a little bit better conversation around them, and not feel pressured to say, oh shit, we actually have to watch two more movies to yeah. finish things out. Then we're just kind of scrambling for thoughts, trying to remember what happened in that first movie we watched. This, um helps everyone out it'll give us a little bit of time to make more polls for you guys if we want to have a series go four movies long like if if the poll just has two solid banger movies oh, shit, at the top like we that. could do four weeks on the same topic You're right. and and this will also help us uh sequel things a lot easier so this mm -hmm. episode here halloween 2 it's a sequel but if we want to revisit movies with practical effects, which we did a couple months back, we could just add on another movie to that. Yes. If, um, yeah, yeah. So th this will give us a lot of opportunity to kind of play with stuff we've done already. We've already talked about um, having movies for when you like music, but not a musical. Like we want to revisit some thoughts and some, uh, some themes we had. Maybe a new movie comes out that fits the role uh, better than you know stuff we picked originally so 
this is basically just us opening up our opening up ourselves to have more time to really think and deep dive these movies for you guys and we have more time and mental energy to really make it something worth listening to for everybody yes i'm i'm excited about it man because like we have had a hell of a run doing three movies a week i'll give it to us and i i think like what people may not understand is that like the movie watching alone for two people who are employed more than full-time by the way yeah uh, <laughs> i have i have a full-time job and i have a part-time job and i have a yes. wife that likes attention i uh i own a small business and i am very mentally ill and i have a wife who doesn't really decompress by watching movies most of the time so just watching the movies is like nine hours a week um, mm-hmm. And then recording a three movie podcast usually takes us around three hours, you know, like, and man, I was, I was really, really starting to be like, man, fuck. Like, you know, like it was just, mm-hmm. I, I, I need more space for just like self care and wellness and whatnot. And we've always said like the main point of this podcast is to have fun and it was becoming a little less fun. So um, I hope you guys will understand that this is an effort to make it more fun and more sustainable and make it last longer. And to, um, again, I feel like I've kind of gone through the motions on some of the more recent movies. And I, I think one movie a week, we're really going to like, we're going to have a lot more to say. I think it's going to be better content, yeah. you know, like uh, lower, lower volume, higher quality is what I'm excited about. Yeah, there's definitely been weeks where all three movies, like specifically the A24 episode, where I was like, all three movies, I'm dialed in. I want to watch these yeah. now, today. Getting around to watching Ernest Scared Stupid was just kind of a chore. <sighs> that so. was a chore. That was a big chore. Uh, you know, so if you're upset about this and you're in the audience member, know that this is because you voted for Scooby-Doo. Um, yep. Know that that's you why d- this is happening. <laughs> yeah, we definitely hadn't talked about it weeks prior so <laughs> no we we were it's watching scooby-doo and we both feel shame each other and said that's fucking it <laughs> this isn't working for me brother <laughs> back to the drawing board the audience fucked us <laughs> so feel guilty please um speaking of having space for mental health next week is a break yeah spooky season was long and enjoyable it was great i had a great time with all these movies most Same of these dog. movies pretty much all these movies more than average i had a lot of fun with that with uh this month of movies but we're going to take a week off to kind of plan out well first of all just you know to take a break for the sake of our brains but also to plan out maybe what the first series is going to be there we're going to and yeah again this will let us do single movie episodes our first episode back after the break will be a single movie episode but it'll be a theme that we will revisit every once in a while. Like when we're between themes, mm-hmm. we'll go back to this theme later. And we'll announce it at the end of the podcast. And we've got the movie selected and we've got the theme selected that we will revisit. Stay tuned for that later. But uh, enough about our bullshit, Denny. We've got yeah. three movies to talk about. Boy, do we, Greg. <sighs> All right. So we already intro the movies. We told everybody what's going on. So it's time to start talking about a movie. A movie from a dream. No, no. A nightmare. On the Oak Avenue. No, no. Elm. Elm cul-de-sac. Yes, Nightmare on Elm Court is... (laughs) (laughs) Um, Hold on, that's not right. 
All right, really, though. Nightmare on Elm Street is our first movie. Yes. It is a 1984 classic Wes Craven film that you can watch on HBO Max. How cool is that? Yeah. Hell yeah. A lot of HBO Max this week. Right to my right. There it is. It's over there. I've seen it. He's telling the truth. What a classic. This is a hit horror classic. Spawned a lot of sequels. One of which we've already... Well, one and a half of which we've covered on the show already. What's the half? Uh, Freddy oh, vs. Jason. Jason. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot we did that. You're right. I'll, I'll call that half of Freddy movie. Sure. So, I'll give it that. So, Nightmare on Elm Street. This was the audience selection. Thank you all for voting. Denny, would you please tell the audience the plot of Nightmare on Elm Street while I go run and grab a beer from the fridge over here? Yes, of course I will, and I will try to time it exactly with your return. Um, I'm I'm fast. <laughs> A Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, Our dear protagonist Nancy and her friend Johnny Depp and their other friends that we don't remember. Craig is doing a funny dance. Um, They all start having these spooky dreams that have a hint of reality to them. They're being haunted by a man named Fred Krueger. Greg is so distracting to me. (laughs) Um, They are... um, they're haunted by this uh, Christmas sweater, fedora-wearing, neckbeard-ass, pizza-face motherfucker named Fred Krueger. Um, and basically, they start to piece together that if you die in the dreams, you die in real life. Um, mm. As they get picked off one by one, Nancy keeps finding ways to stay awake. Um, she's getting increasingly crazy and irritable due to sleep deprivation. Um, she's hanging out with Johnny Depp, trying to trying to find ways to take down Freddy. Um, eventually, uh, her mom, who becomes an alcoholic halfway through this movie for some reason, <laughs> um, is like, there's something you need to know. I've been keeping a murder weapon in the basement. A child murder weapon, actually. Um, see, there was this... <laughs> there was this really bad dude who killed, like, 20 kids. You've probably never heard of him, but it all happened down the street. For some reason, no one's talking about it. Um, he got out through a legal loophole, so me and all the parents in the neighborhood got together and burned the motherfucker alive. <laughs> Which is just so unexpected and badass. Um, he's haunting the kids of the parents and uh, who killed him. And uh, she's basically like, well, I'm going to bring him out of the dreams and, uh, and then kill him in real life. So she tries to do that. But Greg, this is something mm-hmm. I love about this movie that we'll get into. She doesn't exactly succeed. Um, honestly, rare movie where the bad guy wins. And I've always been really bothered that Nightmare on Elm Street 2 is called Freddy's Revenge. Because I've always been like, revenge for what? He won. He, didn't. <laughs> he won last time. What's he getting revenge for? The inconvenience, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> He's pissed off about how long it took. Uh, yeah, I assumed the first part of that summary went great. Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Nicely done. Uh, yeah. This is a this is a good movie. Man. Yeah, man. Uh, what's your relationship with Nightmare on Elm Street, Denny? I've I've seen it a bunch of times, you know. It's I, I probably liked it the most this watch through. Um, I've always thought it was good, but for some reason, Nightmare's never been like something that I just wanted to like dive into like I do with a lot of my interest. Um, mm-hmm. But I've always liked it. I've always liked the first movie a lot, um, and I, I think I you know this watch through I got an even deeper appreciation for it. Um, you know, couldn't tell you the first time I saw it. Couldn't tell you. 
um, how many times I've watched it. This is one that's just kind of always been there, you know. And I'm kicking myself, Greg, because it was playing at Alamo Denton last night, and uh, oh I man, it at home like an idiot. I would have loved to see it on the big screen. Oh, that would have been so great, especially right. with like a crowd that uh, the people going obviously are people that love it. It would have been fun to go with people that love the movie. Absolutely. What about you? What's your relationship with it? I watched this once in high school, I think. And I thought it was pretty good. Horror movies weren't really my thing or weren't really on my radar, but I was like, hey, Johnny Depp's in this one. That's wild. He's like a kid. And then I was surprised with how enjoyable it was. Yeah. I, I didn't really like scary movies all that much, but it was, it was a lot of fun. And I thought, you know, I had a lot of the same thoughts on this watch through uh, earlier this week. So only seen it twice like you were saying the i like this franchise freddy krueger is cool i like his character i love uh mr england who plays him yes and but it's just like it's not a franchise i'm really in love with i'm not really diving deep into it even though it has some of the better movies in like the classic horror uh franchise kind of genre specifically dream warriors i wish there were more dream warriors in this movie Yes, I, I'm really on the fence now if Dream Warriors is better. I think it is. I think Dream Warriors is better than the first one. I'm going to stand by it, but they're they're both really good. I think Dream Warriors leaned a lot more into the fun of the character yeah. of Freddy, but you can't have that movie having fun with that character without first establishing him in a more serious manner in this movie. So yeah. I'm not mad at this one for... Mm taking a less fun approach even though we did have fun with it well that's the thing man freddy is it's jarring that freddy is so intimidating and sinister and genuinely scary in this movie because like mm -hmm. i feel like by part three we're rooting for him you know like and he's doing catchphrases and dropping one-liners and saying bitch all the time and that's who I think of when I think of Freddy Krueger. But in part one, he is uh, he is not endearing. He is really, really creepy and just pure evil, man. He's a dick, and not like the <laughs> one that they had to not like the one they had to paint green in Dream Warriors. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep coming back to that one, but yeah, I I like the I love seeing Extendo Arms Freddy. Because yeah. all I think is the the spines of the VHSs. Uh, that <laughs> if you line them all up, it's him reaching his arms out super wide. Right here, I'd like to complete the set. I would like for you to complete the set. Hey, it's expensive. Maybe we need to head to a little shop called Horror Freak later on. Dude, I, they have some there, and I almost bought them last time I was there. Oh hell yeah! I fully encourage this. Now, you've seen, I guess all of this franchise right yes, yes how, I have. how do you feel this sets up the franchise because the remakes suck i saw the nightmare on elm street remake from Ooh. was like 2010 or 2011 or whatever that was Ooh. absolute dog shit blows we've talked about the halloween franchise reboots some of them are actually pretty good um where does this one sit in the franchise for you in terms of like quality enjoyability whatever i mean this one and dream warriors are the only ones you can take seriously in the whole franchise um, okay 
I, I, I would say this one and Dream Warriors are top two. And even like Dream Warriors is getting a little self-aware, you know, a little a little dialed up, a little campy. Mm-hmm. Um, this one seems to pay a lot more mind to like trying to make a good movie instead of just trying to have good kills, you know? Um, and this one has like dumb horror stuff in it that we'll get into as well. But I gotta say, you know, the franchise never really reached the peak of the first one again. Um, I have mixed feelings on the Nightmare franchise. When it's good, it's really good, and it is opposed to other horror franchises I've watched all the way through. I think the premise of Freddy's abilities allows for so much more creativity than, like, Jason Voorhees or Michael Myers or Leatherface. You know, like, you can do... Mm -hmm. You can have so much more fun with the Nightmare sequences than you can with, like, uh, Michael stabbed him again you know i guess he yeah. <laughs> guess he squeezed his head till it burst this time uh, you know didn't like say anything yeah but this franchise can also be really boring and really bad um if anything i'd say every other movie in the franchise is a pretty big departure from this movie honestly um so i don't know i don't know if that answers your question or not i feel like i just kind of rambled no that kind of does i just kind of want to get your thoughts on this movie the franchise in general where it fits and yeah you nailed it. Yeep. Well done. Uh, the Johnny Depp of it all. Oh. This was before he was particularly any good at acting, I gotta say. This is uh, not a lot of great performances in this one. I think the Will Reno review was something along the lines of genuinely horrifying scenes sandwiched between terrible acting. <laughs> something like that. I'm paraphrasing. but Yeah, that's pretty fair. Um. I kept forgetting it was Johnny Depp because he's so young that he doesn't yeah. look that Johnny Depp white like. But then, like the light would hit him when he turned his face, and I'd be like, "Oh my god, it's Captain Jack Sparrow!" You know, <laughs> like it looks so weird that I'm seeing Captain Jack in this movie. Like it was so so such a strange performance. Yeah, him in the dark. You're just like, I don't know who this young boy is, but, <laughs> and then, yeah, like, like you were saying, the light hits his face just right. You're like, oh, that's the man I know as a pirate or <laughs> a man that keeps a rum diary, if I may. Yeah. I, and only honestly, those two things. <laughs> the the only really notable thing about him being in this movie is that he's Johnny Depp and he's in this movie. Like, he doesn't really do much else significant or like have a special moment that i thought was cool he's just kind of there but he's johnny depp so it's neat but i'll bet in 1984 that didn't really do that much for anyone (laughs) yeah exactly uh did the the we're watching podcast they covered this one right i I think this was one of their earlier episodes i don't know i have it in my head that they did but uh yeah anyways We'll, we'll so, ask them one thing. I think they had an extended conversation on Nancy as the as the final girl. Oh, okay. I encourage people to listen to We're Watching in general, but We're specifically the episode awesome. there. Sister Pod. We Sister Pod. We do. We really do. It's genuine, folks. Um, yeah. What did you think of Nancy as a uh, as a final girl? I think she's fine. Um, old. <laughs> she's final uh, <laughs> boo boo <laughs> um no uh, she's this is the thing right i i think she did a pretty good job 
I believed her peril. I wanted her to escape and survive. She ain't Laurie Strode, okay? Like, she's just she's mm-hmm. just not. But I think she's a perfectly adequate final girl. I, I don't think she has as much personality or depth or even... I felt like there was a disconnect between her and Freddie. Whereas, like, Michael Myers and Laurie Strode, I'm like, yeah, they're tethered. You know, like, there's a bond yeah. there. There's, there's something yeah, exactly. going on. But she kind of strikes me as just, like, another one of Freddie's victims. I don't think he, like has like a personal grudge where he wants to kill her more than the rest of them. So I don't mm-hmm. think it has as much gravitas when it's down to just her. What about you? What did you think of her performance? I feel the same way. Uh, performance wise. I thought the actress was fine. I think she outshines a couple of the other kids specifically uh, Rod, but yeah, I, th- I do feel that sort of detachment. Like you were saying where I don't really think she's, really sought after by freddie it feels like she's just the next one yeah so in in a sense that kind of helps like make the horror of freddie more real and that like it could be anybody like he's coming after whoever's whoever's next it doesn't matter who it is who gives a shit yeah um which is scary in its own right but from the audience perspective having like having something mentioned like oh freddy's targeting you because your mom took his little little claw finger hands and hid it in that chimney in the or in the furnace downstairs having that sort of connection or like having a motivation for going after her specifically would be a little bit more interesting and get us on her side a little bit more i yeah. think but yeah i thought i thought she was fine i i like her thought processes i feel like uh, it's another horror thing of like, would I do anything differently? Mm-hmm. Probably not. She kind of carried carried herself in a way that me thinking at my best would probably go the same route. I can't really discredit any of her decisions. Unless so- there's something I'm not thinking of, <laughs> which your face... <laughs> says no, no, no. I wouldn't, I wouldn't discredit this decision. I would say she was way too good at something um like in ways that made no sense so let me this is something that really stuck out to me on this watch that i hadn't really paid attention to before and i want to preface it with first of all this town has insanely fast turnaround times on everything for Mm -hmm. example in story time uh we had a murder suspect commit suicide while in police custody and mm-hmm. a funeral for him later that afternoon where everybody is there and they're lowering him like they that they <laughs> legally processed that and made the arrangements quick um also nancy's mom got bars on all of her windows in one afternoon like nancy goes out for a little while and comes home and her mom has locked the place down she's um, torn down the lattice she's installed bars on every door and window yes uh, you're right <laughs> which leads me to the most egregious Quick, one which I, I will say, go ahead. I think I think I might know what it is, and I'll let you know if it's what I'm thinking of. But okay. go ahead. There might be a workaround for this because it's unclear if this happens in reality or in a dream sequence. So maybe, but still, okay, it's not what I'm thinking. Go ahead. We're definitely supposed to think it's reality while it's happening, and I don't think they were using a dream sequence to explain this away. Nancy, after earlier in the day checking out a book on booby traps from the library 
She is on a 20 minute time crunch. Okay. She said, come wake me up in 20 minutes to her dad, the cop. Right. Mm -hmm. In that 20 minutes, she sets up an insanely complex booby trap that involves not only a sledgehammer falling from the ceiling to bonk Freddy in the head, but Mm -hmm. also involves an exploding light bulb filled with gunpowder. Yeah. So she, she, sets all that up she starts a 20 minute timer before she starts setting that up then she goes and talks to her mom falls asleep finds freddy and brings him back all in under 20 minutes like the story time was insane but i think that was my one thing that i was like her being that resourceful that mechanically skilled and that damn good at setting up booby traps for murderers after, like, they just show her, like, reading the book a little bit earlier. And they're like, what are you reading about booby traps for? I was like, come on, Mary Sue. You're a little too good at fighting Freddy for this. <laughs> like, I don't know that I'm buying that you pulled this off, let alone in that yeah. time frame. <laughs> Hide your shame, Kevin McAllister, because this girl did it lickety split, man. It was and- very... I was thinking about Kevin McAllister and Home Alone while she was doing it. I was like, she's like prepping for the Wet Bandits right now. <laughs> like, that's how insane this is. Oh, no. Freddy's a little bit more of a sticky bandit, if I may. Gross. Um... Let me just say, all of that is correct. I felt a very strange time crunch. But the time is up. You know, she gets Freddy into the real world, the awake world, out of the dreamscape. And she had to deal with her dad. Her dad is starting to understand the severity and kind of the paranormal side of the uh, the activities going on. And he's like, you know what? Maybe my daughter's a little bit right here. They talk on the phone. He's across the street. Right? Yes. They can hear each other without phones. So, they agree. Dad, I need you to come here at 12.30 exactly, 30 minutes after midnight, kick down the door, and arrest the guy. I'm bringing him to you. The guy responsible for the crazy murder that you're investigating across the street. I'm going to get him. Doesn't show up. Yes. Nancy does her part, and he's nowhere to be found inside. He's just probably standing inside with his hands on his hips like oh this is wild my daughter said she could bring me who did this well to mention greg i need some coffee (laughs) he sends someone to watch out for her and he's like come get me immediately if anything strange happens oh oh that's where i was going (laughs) with this i'll I'll let you have it i'll let you have it i'll let you have it nancy is like where the fuck is my dad shattering windows in her own home saying get my dad you fucking asshole (laughs) screaming breaking other windows in the house upstairs downstairs whatever and the guy's sent to watch her to alert dad if anything weird's going on is just standing there like well after minutes of this is going on says guess i better go get the lieutenant (laughs) he like thinks about it twice they cut to him not reacting to her screaming like at him doing nothing like it's unbelievable (laughs) i guess her screaming and breaking windows and crying for help is not um out of the ordinary it's not something strange that he should be alerting her dad to so insanely fast turnaround times except when you need them most Ah, ah that elm street (laughs) <laughs> can't live Typical. with it can't live without it can't live 
at all if Freddy wants to kill you. <laughs> That's right. One, two. He's coming for you, for example. Yeah, I, I would say everything that we just discussed uh, took this movie down a couple notches for me because I, I do think mm-hmm. it is a really strong movie. Like, really, really strong. Mm-hmm. But then you have, it's some crucial moments, them kind of going off the rails with my suspension of disbelief. Um, there's nothing like that in Halloween or the first Friday the 13th or Texas Chainsaw, which we'll get to later. Mm-hmm. And I think it really does uh, cheapen the movie. Um, it, it cheapens it into being something that's just a really good entry in the slasher genre from it could have been just a really good movie, you know, and they they, mm-hmm. they could have. And I don't think they did is the problem. All of all of what we just talked about is technically in a dream sequence. Um, right. And if they had just acknowledged that of like why things weren't working out for Nancy was because none of it was happening and Freddie was controlling the cops in her dreams, you know, like fine. But I don't think the audience was supposed to make that connection. It's all <laughs> like I don't think like, like yeah. they did nothing in the movie that would make you think. Oh, I was supposed to be confused why the cops weren't reacting. Like, they mm-hmm. never, right? Like, they never acknowledged <laughs> that. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, like you were saying, outside of these things, plus uh, one more thing I'll get to here in a sec. Like Will Reno said, some spectacular horror moments. Like, yes. Tina just going up the walls, oh. like, being f- carried by an invisible entity just and then just being cut and stabbed and bleeding while being stuck to the ceiling and nancy's first dream sequence while she's in school with tina uh being in like a shower curtain wrapped up and just like dragging blood around with her oh there's some legitimately scary stuff here it it looks cool it feels cool it delivers the right atmosphere packs a lot of punch the blood geyser Oh, when they oh, killed Johnny man. Depp. That was stupid yep. good. That was fantastic. That's the thing I remember the most from my first watch through. Yeah. I also remember Glenn just being such a sleepy son of a bitch. He can't be counted on. He always falls asleep. <laughs> you ask him to do one thing, he's like, okay, but I'm going to take a nap in the middle of that. Yeah. Always the worst time for this guy. What What was the other thing you wanted to get to that kind of detracts from the movie for you? You mentioned it kind of towards the beginning. I don't understand the chronology here of when Freddy was killed by the adults in the neighborhood. Yeah. So Nancy's mom isn't that old. This is Freddy as a guy killing 20 kids in the town and they kill him. Was it these high school juniors friends from when they were little? Does it predate them? The parents should be older. It should be an older generation of people that killed this guy. Who... The chronology is weird. It's like, if it was the parents in the town rallying to kill this person, then it would have been their current kids' friends dying. They would remember something like that. Right. But, so who who's... Who were the kids that died? Was it... Does it predate these kids? Or do they just block it out of their memories? Like, I'm really confused about the timing of all this. Well, I'm wondering, and I might I might be getting this trivia fact wrong, 
Um, it might not matter that much, but you know, I don't think I thought it matters it. that much, but I do think it's a good point. And it does bother me that like, it's like, dude, this would be like the true crime capital of the fucking world. If this happened, like, come on. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> like no one would be like, what? I haven't heard of that. Like, it would be like, shut the fuck up. Stop talking about it. I'm bored. Um, I think I recall that the kids in this movie were supposed to be younger and that mm-hmm. Freddie was supposed to be more pedophile but there were some, like, actual child murders around this time, so they kind of toned it down a little bit. And so okay. I'm wondering if the chronology might have got mixed up because of those changes to the script. Yeah, maybe so. I can't be mad there. But, again, like I said, it, it's not, like, a huge thing. It's just confusing when you actually start thinking about it. Yeah. No, it, it doesn't check out. Uh, it just doesn't. Um and there's lots of stuff about this movie that doesn't check out, but I'll tell you what carries it all through. What makes me just ignore it all. Mm. One word, vibes. Mm. The lighting, the score, and the set pieces create this like really immersive, just atmospheric experience that I just kind of want to dwell in. You know, like mm-hmm. I love I this. Honestly. It's it's in a it's in heavy contention for my favorite classic horror theme song, the like dun 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 dun, dun like the like the nightmare mm-hmm. theme. Mm-hmm. I love love the production design for this movie. Crazy about it. And I think that's what real like more than like Freddy haunting your dreams, I think that's what sets this apart as something special in a decade where they were just 500 movies like it you know and this is late to the party you know because like halloween and friday the 13th start in the late 70s um and then nightmare is the like the third heavy hitter of the slasher craze like it's on equal footing with those two franchises freddie jason and michael are the big three um and i think that's impressive that like it showed up this late in the game and is essentially tied for first just depending on who you ask right like i mean yeah texas chainsaw came before all of them and leatherface is not on the level that freddy krueger is on yeah exactly uh speaking of that guy we got to get going to that movie pretty soon here yes so um let's get into some gimmicks let's this do week, it if you're good yes uh, this is a gimmick of the week we're doing for Halloween part two. Halloween two. Our gimmick of the week for Halloween two is a repeat, I believe, of our last Halloween episode from last yes. year. It is kind of a two for one. It is our favorite trick and favorite treat. Mm-hmm. Open to interpretation. Denny, what is your favorite trick and treat? And I'll I'll do mine after you're done. Okay. My favorite treat is that Nancy is in her room staying awake by watching Evil Dead. Uh, we even get a really good look at Bruce Hell Campbell. Yeah. Um, that's a treat for Nancy. It's a treat for anyone who wants to watch Evil Dead late at night. Um, my favorite trick we kind of got into already is, uh, I, I was, as I was watching it, I was like, <laughs> I wonder why in this whole franchise, they never like had the whole movie be a dream. Um, you know, like, why did they never go for that? Um, or like at least like the last half of it or something. And then like, as it went on, I was like, Oh wait, they do it in the first movie. Cause it's an obvious <laughs> idea. Um, so my favorite trick is a false finish, a misdirect and a heel victory. 
um, that we think we're all getting better and everything's all rose-colored and they swerve us and Freddy Krueger wins the day. That's my favorite trick. They got our guard down. Nice. Love it. Uh, my favorite trick, it's much smaller in scope and scale, the Beetlejuice-style face peel-off when yeah. uh, I think it's Tina's fighting Freddy. Oh. Grabs at his face and peels the skin off, and he's like, <laughs> "It's awesome, it's great." Uh, my favorite treat, we mentioned it a couple times. Mom having Freddy's knife hand glove as a fun little keepsake in the chimney. <laughs> Child murder yeah. weapon is in the house. A piece of evidence for the most significant crime in probably that state's entire history, maybe the country, if this was real. Uh, she just has it in her house, just yep. wrapped up on a little cloth. Like, I kept it. <laughs> Can you it's imagine, a little, Greg? It's a little treat for mom. Honestly, it lost my sympathy because I was like, I'm sorry. Keeping child murder weapons in the basement is asking to be haunted. Like, I don't know what you expect. Like, you're begging for it at that point when you keep a demonic artifact like that in your living space i don't know what you think's gonna happen nancy's mom god that character what a fucking asshole she is got that right uh denny what's your favorite line for nightmare on elm street um i'll give a runner-up to how i lived in most of my 20s which is shouting screw sleep before smashing a vodka bottle on the ground um hell yeah but I'll go with one that's kind of simple, and it's like really the first hint of what Freddy would become that we got is when he says, "Come to Freddy," and then does the sexy tongue, a little, ah, 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 you know, like. Yeah, um, I like the music at that part too. Yeah, it was great. That that's my favorite line. Come to Freddy. Very nice. Uh, mine is much different. It is Nancy saying, "Warm milk, gross." Goddamn right, Nancy. <laughs> Oh, and that bathtub scene, by the way, the one where she says that, mm -hmm. I wanted to mention, you know, the way when Freddy reaches up over her vagina with his claw, just the way they mix the sexuality with the violence. I like it. Oh, my God. Obligatory. 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 We do this every Ob week. We say, remember the forgetting Sarah Marshall reference. Remember the Sarah Marshall reference. Magical adventures. Best friends forever. One, two, three. One, two, three. We do this every week. Every week we do this, Greg. All right, so Denny, what's your critical score for Nightmare on Elm Street as I oh, breeze over shit. everything you just did and said? Um, you don't, let me you don't remember, do you? No, I don't. All right, let me go, let me go then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, it's a good movie. It's not my favorite genre. It's not my favorite entry into the genre, but it's fun. Like Denny said, it's got strong vibes, but um, some poor performances and some weird decisions kind of bring it down for me. But overall, I'm having a good time with this one. Some of the best kills I've seen in a slasher movie. I gave it a 24 out of 40. Very nice, very nice. Um, I gave it a 38 out of 50. Um, I raised nice. my score from, I think, a 36. This time, I had a deeper appreciation for the filmmaking aspects of it and the atmosphere of it and for like what we discussed with the evilness of Freddy and how truly scary he was in this movie. So it bumped mm -hmm. up a few points. I, this deepened my love for Nightmare on Elm Street. Things I love to hear. That's probably going to be our lowest score for the episode, so... Yup. Stay tuned.
<laughs> what you just heard was the sounds of the seamless edit massacre. Very good chainsaw noises, Greg. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you uh, you saw my hands pantomiming a chainsaw. You're like, wait a second, is he holding up a tiny invisible chainsaw? No, no, it was it was my mouth. I thought you had a Wonder Woman situation going on where she gets an invisible jet, and you got a worse superpower where you get a miniature invisible chainsaw, but. It was just I don't your mouth. I don't see how that's worse. Yeah, honestly. Uh, I don't know how to fly. Not to mention the air traffic control situation of an invisible jet. Seems high risk. Yeah. You still show up on radar, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> Enough about Gal Gadot. <laughs> Greg. Yeah? This is your pick. You want to summarize Texas Chainsaw Massacre for us? It is my pick. Uh, Leatherface? I hardly know her face. Hey! So, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It is a 1975 film that uh, I bought uh, on Blu-ray on Amazon uh, pretty recently for super cheap. And then come to find out it's on Tubi, it's on Amazon Prime's, like, free to watch. It's a bunch of places. So if you're looking to stream it, you've probably got access to it. It is a classic slasher film about a bunch of kids in the early 70s august of 1973 they are just getting gas in their van they're traveling one of them's got a wheelchair and uh they get onto the wrong section of land with the wrong people they cross the wrong people in backwoods texas and uh one by one are getting picked off by a crazed maniac leatherface oh but surely this crazed maniac is acting alone Sorry to say, spoilers for a 47-year-old movie. Um, some of the older people in the town that we met before, they're actually in on it. They're kind of feeding Leatherface, his, mm. uh, his victims as well. Uh, scary, scares, twists and turns. Denny, <laughs> what's your relationship with this movie, bud? Um, I saw it for the first time a couple of years ago when Enemy of the Show, Davis Kalk and I watched the Texas Chainsaw Massacre all the way through uh, the whole franchise. It was a lot of Leatherface in my life for the month of October. Um, this Today, I watched it earlier today. That was my second time watching it. Um, and I got to say, man, I don't know what your pick for best American slasher is, but it's got to be either Halloween or Texas Chainsaw. You know, like the, the, the OGs. This is really the first major American slasher. I think like Stalker or something or Night Stalker or something happens sooner. But like everyone credits Halloween with starting the craze. And nah, baby, Texas Chainsaw happened a couple of years before that. Yeah, just um, a few short years earlier. Yep. Greg, what's your relationship with it? I had never seen this one, actually. Like, I picked up that Blu-ray because I knew I was going to pick it for this. Because yeah. I was really looking forward to watching it for the first time. A uh, a classic in the horror genre. Uh, set off a lot of slasher craze. Man, I had a really good time with this one, watching it for the first time the other day. And excited to be talking about it for a little while with you. Hell yeah, brother. This is a movie that is so simplistic and basic. It's so incredibly easy to remake. Yes. But I would say impossible to recapture the magic of what they got here. Mm -hmm. 
Sometimes less is more, folks. You don't have to remake everything. I'm just saying. Yeah. How many times yeah. have they tried that? Um, how many times have they tried to remake this? I should know off the top of my head, but I believe it's 13 At or least. 14 times. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, it's stupid. <laughs> it's stupid. And uh, there is one genuinely good movie in that entire franchise, and it's this one. Let me tell you. There's some fun ones, don't get me wrong, but like... <laughs> You're telling me Texas Chainsaw 3D didn't live up to the hype? No, it didn't, unfortunately. Um, there's some that are kind of decent late in the game, but like we're we're in pretty deep. I was very... My mind wasn't working right. I might have liked them more than I <laughs> should have <laughs> at that point in the watch-through. Um, man, this is this is uh, kind of a slasher masterpiece. A slasher piece, if, if you will. Oh, um, I will. Thank you. I, I would also say, surprisingly, not that gory. Would you agree with me on that? Yeah, I was kind of surprised. I mean, a lot of horror is derived from implied violence, Yeah, I guess. They don't really have a lot of blood and gore. Certainly nothing compared to Nightmare on Elm Street. No. <laughs> their, their, their blood budget was through the roof, which is where Johnny Depp went. Um, <laughs> that was good. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I guess I was expecting a lot more chainsaw slashing, but I found myself a lot more scared of the implied mm -hmm. kills and just, yeah. like, the after effects and finding a body in the freezer and that kind of stuff. I find myself more scared of that stuff than, like, straight-up on-screen blood, guts, and violence. Yeah, they make you imagine it. And it's it's a lot to imagine, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's fucked up. Um, I guess, like... That first kill where, like, we find the house and, you know, hello, is anybody home? We need gas. And, you know, the kid just wanders into the house. Mm. That first kill where he just gets, like, knocked on his ass, dragged through that mysterious room with all the skulls, like, on the wall, and then that metal door shuts. Shocking. Terrifying. It, like... <laughs> And there's hardly any on-screen violence. There's just yeah. that that build of anticipation and tension. Sorry, the build of anticipation. There it is. And <laughs> we've indoctrinated him. He's one of us now. That's right. And then we just like quickly kill him off, drag him through the door, shut the door, and the other person is left wondering, like, what happened? What happened yeah. to him? Where'd he go? What's going on here? And we're feeling the same way. Saw yeah. more than they did. Leatherface slamming that door shut is like the best moment of the movie for me. Like, there's just something nice, about yeah. the force of it. Like, and it just creates this moment of like, you know, you're watching through, something's kind of off. You know, this isn't right. You know, there's been some murders nearby. And we have this really slow build um, to this very abrupt, very fast moving oaf. Oh, fuck moment which is leatherface mm -hmm. getting him and then just like this impenetrable door closes that just like lets you know these kids are fucking outmatched like they are they yeah. are fucking screwed right now it's it's really rare for the first kill in a slasher movie to let you know they're not beating this yeah <laughs> like you don't know what's behind that door we don't know what's up the stairs or even in the next room all we know is that this house is it it has somebody absolutely insane inside of it yes. behind a giant metal door 
and the first character just got swallowed up like in a Venus flytrap or some just shit. Got just dominated. Got his fucking ass kicked. Like, and nobody else saw it, so we have no way to prepare for it. So <laughs> yeah. we just assume that every other character is gonna, you know, uh, experience the same fate. Yeah, and well, mostly they did. But I think mostly. what makes that that moment so good, and this is what I think is great about how the movie's arranged. We get that really, really graphic, uh, like, murder, corpse art opening. Um, it's very disturbing. We cold open on, like, these corpse being arranged. Yeah. Like, um, we hear about all these fucked up murders that have been happening, and the police can't figure out why grave robbers are robbing graves. That's very graphic imagery, and it really leaves that, like, this is a horror movie in your mouth. Um and then we have a very long extended slow burn where like mm -hmm. nothing scary is really happening um you get the little stuff with the hitchhiker and the harbinger at the gas station but it's mm -hmm. very very slow and then they hit you with this scene that we're talking about you know like this really fast really brief really fucking scary scene that just kicks us off into the other half of the movie you know like we're off mm -hmm. to the races after that and I was very impressed with the with the pacing and the storytelling and just like the emotions it created. Yeah, exactly. Like it does feel kind of like what you were saying. It does feel like two separate movies. Mm -hmm. uh, I would call Hereditary is probably that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. It's probably like the perfect slow burn in terms of like horror. Mm -hmm. But this one is such an immediate shift that it feels like it's separated into two parts. And once we kick off the second part, oh, buddy, we're in. So, well yeah. done. It, it's it's all it's all earned from the uh, from the first section. Oh, patiently earned, patiently earned. Like Toby Toby Hooper, just he fucking got it when he was making this movie, man. And like the journey he takes you on in an hour and 20 minutes it's a short movie like you know but like it's exactly yeah. what it needs to be it's it's just perfect length perfect pacing that brings me to something that i think is uh pretty admirable with just like especially for this time period nine, 1974 75 uh whatever it is like you could pad the runtime very easily. Just use all that B-roll footage of chasing Sally through the woods in the dark or something. Use mm -hmm. extra footage. Have someone climb up the stairs even slower. Show a lot of shots of the outside of the house. Establish a little bit more. There's no wasted motions here. And that gives way to, like... I, I, I had in my notes here, excellent continuity. Yes. Solid continuity, sensible pacing makes it more scary because it feels more real. The passage of time feels uh, more authentic yes. than you know most most other movies, especially horror movies around this time coming out. Yes, well, it's very much the opposite of Halloween and Nightmare. Um, and even Friday the 13th, where those movies are really famous for their score and their atmosphere and all of these like post-production things that go into it. And mm -hmm. this one is a very quiet movie, a very like, you know, like it doesn't have those vibes that the other ones have. And I think that makes it a lot scarier, you know, like there's because I don't know about you, but I find like something like the Halloween theme song kind of comforting. Reminds me that I'm watching a movie. 
This mm-hmm. movie gives you yeah. nothing to comfort yourself with while you're watching it. Like it looks like just <laughs> a very raw reality of these cannibalistic sick fuck hicks, you know, like and I don't know about you, but have you been out to the fucking boonies? Like, are you not worried that there's a family like this out there? Like, I I used to work out there, man, and there's some fucked up stuff going on. Like, that's a very real cultural anxiety. Um, Um, uh, Yeah, as two guys that have experienced firsthand extremely rural Texas. Yeah. (laughs) The fear of this being out there is extremely real. Yes, very much. Um... I wanted to ask you, what did you know about this movie going into it? Really not anything. Like, I knew the character Leatherface, and I knew it was, like, a classic slasher. I don't think I really knew anything plot-wise Yeah. outside of <laughs> uh, people are massacred with a chainsaw. And I quickly figured out who was going to be massacred with said <laughs> chainsaw. <laughs> so, um, almost nothing. So, what was your response to the reveal that like Leatherface is actually a kind of low ranking member of this cannibalistic family. I was surprised while watching it, but it does make sense because I feel like this is a thing that happens a little more commonly. And I feel like it's kind of spawned from this movie where I can't think of another example off the top of my head of just like the the main bad guy being just another pawn, like the famous bad guy being just a pawn in what's really going on here. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't surprised when the when Sally ran into town and tried to get help and she didn't find help. The old man actually uh, fought her, knocked her out, and delivered her to Leatherface. I guess. I wasn't really surprised, but I was, I did feel in that moment a little bit of a sinking letdown. Like, I anticipated that coming, but I not for the whole movie. Only the yeah. second she started, like, talking to him, I was like, oh, no, I don't think this is actually going to go right for her. Yeah. Like, I anticipated that, but it wasn't um, something I knew was going to happen. Yeah, I was very taken aback by, like the family conspiracy that they're all trying to trap people there you know like i just i didn't see it coming at all and then like the stuff with grandpa is like like very disturbing oh my god like that's such a like departure from what the horror for the rest of the movie has been it's just been like hey he's cutting you up he's bad he's a big bad scary guy and he cuts you up run away from him yeah then they get into this like disgusting perverse gross out horror um, like the scariest part of the movie is thinking about having your finger in grandpa's mouth for me. <laughs> like, <it's> so <laughs> fucking gross. Um, it, he looks like Barbara in Beetlejuice when <laughs> Otto does the seance. That is one thing. The The grandpa makeup is oh, a little b-horror. It's he, not he great. Looks, he looks like Palpatine in Revenge of the Sith when he gets <laughs> self-electrocuted with Mace Windu. That's what he looks like. That's absolutely what he looks like. If only we did Star Wars so we could further compare this, <laughs> but we don't do Star Wars. Um, you're That's so right, right though. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, what else do you have on this movie, bud? Um, I was... Let me see here. I was pretty impressed with Franklin for making it so far into the movie. 
despite hey, being an anxious Franklin. dipshit. <laughs> Coming to Pissing my in house. a can. Oh. <laughs> Getting his hand slashed. He was a, he lived a very long time for being such an anxious dipshit, is all I'm saying. Like that was that yeah, was nice. Yeah. Um Let me see. Other thoughts I have. I I, as I'm watching through the Halloween franchise, um, I think this movie lends itself way better to Rob Zombie's aesthetic than Halloween does. I don't know why Rob Zombie didn't get handed the Texas Chainsaw franchise. I think he, just by doing his Rob Zombie stuff, could have done a very passable job with, with a reboot of this. Um, mm-hmm. I guess the only other real important thought I have is that um, this is the version of Leatherface I like best. Uh, something that I think really sucks about the rest of the franchise is they will always try to humanize Leatherface one way or another. Um, Dude. Oh, that sucks. That sounds awful. It sucks, and it's never for any reason. Like, they just get a little sympathy for him. And it never, like, has him, like, turn on the family or anything. You know, like, he just keeps being Leatherface every time. Yeah. <laughs> just keeps cutting people up. But <laughs> I like him so much more as just like someone whose only thought in their brain is kill. You know, like someone who uh, there's just nothing human behind that leather mask, you know? Um, that's what I like about this movie. Um, and I am just such a fan of, I think this is, it might be the best third act in slasher history. It's just so fucking good and so mm-hmm. beautifully shot and well done. And those closing moments of her laughing in the truck while Leatherface just like dances with his chainsaw during Golden Hour. Like, God damn, that's filmmaking, man. That's fucking filmmaking. Oh, that's great. What about you? Any other uh, Texas Chainsaw thoughts? I think I'm all good. Cool, uh, I guess my last thing is that, like, I kind of mentioned it with the con- continuity of it all. Sally being chased by Leatherface in the dark felt like a woman was being chased by a man with a chainsaw in the dark in the woods. Yes. yes. Everything about that screamed realism. So yes. I, I, I particularly enjoyed that from in a filmmaking sense, not because I like women being chased by murderers. Yeah. You know, well, I so- like women. It's so scary because <laughs> Leatherface is just moving with such force, and he's so fast. Like, whoo, whoo, mm-hmm. it's intimidating. And he's not saying anything outside of, ah. yeah. so, ah, oof, unsettling. Ooh. All right, Denny, ring, ringing the doorbell here. Yes. Trick or treat. What's your favorite trick, and what's your favorite treat for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Um, my favorite trick was at the end when the semi ran over the hitchhiker. Um, Hell and you yes. just see him go under the wheel. That's, oh. that's the best car running over a person scene I've ever seen in a movie. It's so Since good. Ernest Scared Stupid. Yeah. So Or oh, Meet Joe Black. Since since Rim Job ran over that troll. Um Anyways. <laughs> no, not, that's that's, that's the best I've ever seen it, so my favorite trick is the trick photography on the hitchhiker getting running over, getting run over. Um, my favorite treat is uh, Franklin doing rapid fire stress raspberries as he laments what a bad day he's having when he's just sitting there being like, "This day sucks." Everyone said I'd have a fun trip. Come on the trip, Franklin. What a treat it was to watch that guy lose his shit and make fart noises out of frustration. 
Hell yeah. <laughs> what about you? Favorite trick and favorite treat? My favorite trick is uh, when the movie thought that made me think that Sally was going to win this sword fight between a uh, barbecue chopping knife and a broom, and the broom won. So, get wrecked, Sally. Learn to yep. fight better. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the broom took down the knife real easily, actually. Really anti-rock, paper, scissors she moment. Tapped with the broom to the point of unconsciousness. <laughs> <laughs> what a victim. Uh, my favorite treat is uh, astrology bitches have always been a thing, man. Saturn is in retrograde, <laughs> whatever the hell that means. There's something about young women in astrology. They just love it. I don't know. They I can't just love it. That one. I don't know why. They just <laughs> dig it. It's fine. It's whatever. I'm not even going to hate on it. There you go. Um, What's your favorite line? My favorite line is one from the old man. I just can't take no pleasure in killing. <laughs> I just like to eat the bodies. Yeah. <laughs> take lots of pleasure in that. I won't lie. <laughs> <laughs> um, mine is uh, Leatherface's pig squeals. Um, they are hmm. very, very disturbing and creepy. Um, and he does it a lot. So my favorite line is his oink, oink, oink that he likes to do so much. Likes to make a little piggy noise. That's the kind of screaming you do when you wake up from a nightmare and you find yourself screaming. Mm -hmm. Just like unintelligible nonsense. Yeah. Oh, it's, oh, God, that's so good. It's terrifying. <laughs> what's uh, what's the critic or score, Gregoru? Hey, man. It's a... Uh... Very strong entry into the slasher field. Mm -hmm. What am I trying to say? Genre. There yeah. we go. Found it. I found a word. Uh, I like this movie a lot. A lot better than I was expecting. It was very different from what I was expecting. I mm -hmm. gave it a 33 out of 40. Very nice. It made it into the 30s. I was worried. You've, you've been a little yeah. harsh lately, Greg. You've been a little harsh. Just saying. I'll quit doing that. <laughs> More on that. We're on that next two weeks from now. Yeah, I think I think I think you're gonna have a really easy grading week in a couple weeks. Um, <laughs> That's right. I gave this one a 45 out of 50. Uh, obviously, grading yeah. for in the genre, I do think it is. I think Halloween might be a little better, but I honestly always go back and forth on that opinion. So that's what I think today. Um, mm -hmm. I have Halloween at a 46 right now. Um, they're they're just neck and neck. Um, I think that this is one of the greatest horror movies ever made, and without a doubt, one of the greatest American horror movies ever made. I mean, like, before this, you can see where, like, our slasher genre came from with the Italian Giallo movies, but this the was... The Italian job, yeah. The Italian Sorry, job. Sorry, what? Yeah, Seth Green, the real Napster. We all remember that iconic <laughs> line. Um, but um, I really think this is... At least in modern American horror, this is patient zero. Um, you gotta, you gotta give it its place in history and bump it up a few extra points. Is my take. So I'm, I'm a big fan of, of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Very nice. Seamless at it. Seamless at it. Seamless at it. Cue Danny Elfman's score and chaos ensuing. Oh no, chaos, it has ensued. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, buddy. Uh, we got a little bit of a limited time here, so we got to dive right into Beetlejuice. Yes. Denny's pick, a 1988 Tim Burton film that you can watch on HBO Max. It's HBO Max is back. There's so so much good horror there. Wow. Yeah. Thanks, HBO Max, for <laughs> existing. You're the best. So, <laughs> we love you. Denny, this is your pick. And just like last week with Rocky Horror Picture Show, tied for your favorite movie with that, that film. That is correct. Beetlejuice is one of your favorite films of all time. Yes. Denny, summarize the plot, please, for Beetlejuice. Adam and Barbara Maitland have decided to take a vacation. Well, really, it's more of a staycation, because like me, they would rather just take off work and stay home. I relate to them. Um, to the point that they, yeah. they die shortly thereafter, and they think that they might be in heaven, because maybe heaven is just the two of them in their house alone forever. And, man... Sounds like know, heaven to me, honestly. <laughs> I fucking learned a valuable lesson from COVID, and it's that all I need to be happy is to stay in my home with Vanessa. I'm totally chill with doing it forever. Um, <laughs> I relate. And that's why I would say this is the ultimate quarantine movie. Um, I've been looking for a platform to discuss that. But... Um, uh, everything's going fine until those damn Dietzes move into their house. These yuppies from New York, these artsy-fartsy real estate mogul-ass anxiety-ridden people with a depressed-ass daughter. Um, they don't really know how to be ghost very well. Their, uh, their handbook for the recently <laughs> deceased uh, reads like stereo instructions. They are very unsuccessful at haunting them out of their house. Uh, but they are successful at forming a bond with depressed daughter Lydia, who can see them because she is strange and unusual. Um, but all the while, they are getting contacted by this entity named Beetlejuice, who claims that he is a bio-exorcist. Um, and he seems really skeezy and kind of rapey. Um, they are advised by their caseworker, Juno, to not contact him because he's bad and he will do horrible things. Um, long story short, they finally get good at haunting. And son of a bitch, when they actually succeed at doing something really terrifying to the Dietzes, the Dietzes love it, want to make a ghost tour of their house where you can <laughs> swear and you can drink because it's the adult tour. Um, and... <laughs> As they're getting more and more desperate, um, they summon Beetlejuice. Then they're like, no, let's not summon Beetlejuice. Let's just basically tell them to fuck off. And they're like, we're not going to be told to fuck off. Maxie Dean is here. We have to show him Ghost. So Otho, the interior designer, um, steals the handbook for the recently deceased and performs a seance to summon them. Um, unfortunately, it also, like, kills them for real, the second death, I suppose. Um, and panicked, Lydia decides that she will summon Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice says he will only help her if she agrees to marry him so he can stay in real life. She's, like, fine. Um, and then, long story short, Beetlejuice does some awesome, awesome, awesome stuff that is just cinematically iconic. And then Lydia goes back on her deal and they just kick his ass and get rid of him. <laughs> it's pretty awesome for the good guys. And uh, then Adam and Barbara are basically Lydia's parents. They learn to live in harmony with the Dietzes and everybody gets to jump in the line and rock their body in time. It is an insanely happy ending. Greg, what is your relationship with the film Beetlejuice? My relationship is I love it when you say long story short three times during your summary. <laughs> I didn't even notice. 
Uh, it was at least twice. Uh, that summons a longer story, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yes. I had never seen this movie until just the other day. And I was wanting to watch it a couple months ago, and I knew we were going to be doing it for Halloween. We had Spooky Season planned out, like, weeks before, like, in August, basically. And I knew that this was going to be your pick for Halloween. I would have watched it a while ago, but I wanted to wait to have a first watch through for this episode specifically. You have, I want to call it out, a YouTube video on our YouTube channel, if you look up Movies for When on YouTube. I haven't gotten to watch that video yet, but I'm going to be doing that tonight. Yay! It's a yeah. year later. You finally get to see it. I finally get to see it. So yeah, check that that video, guys, out. Please, guys. Wow, I, I'm rearranging words. Check that video out if you've seen the movie. Now that I've seen the movie, I will be seeking it out immediately after recording. Hell yeah. So yeah, first time watch. Uh, Tim Burton fan... Not really. Mm-hmm. Tim Burton neither. films kind of like, doesn't. They don't get a lot of mileage with me. Like Nightmare on Elm Street was one of the poll selections this week. I wasn't really Nightmare wanting that one Christmas. to win. Before Christmas, sorry, sorry, sorry. Elm Street won. Wrong Nightmare movie. Thank you. Like his movies don't really speak to me. Like I'm not the typical Tim Burton fan demographic that you know just absolutely loves all of his features. He has some hits. He has some misses. This might be my favorite one of his. Yeah. He has some severe misses. Yes. But most of those seem to be in the last, like, 15, 20 years or so. Tim Burton films before, like, 2000 seem to be pretty solid. Yeah, like Batman, Ed Wood. Like, he was a very, very creative and ambitious filmmaker, and then he just decided to become a parody of himself all of a sudden. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No kidding. I think uh, Nightmare Before Christmas is where that kind of set off. Uh, We can maybe discuss that another time. This is before all that, though. This is before Big Fish. This is, uh... (laughs) Big Fish is so overrated. (laughs) No, yeah, no shit. Yeah, this this movie is a good time. Super happy to have watched this, uh, Denny. This is one of your favorite movies of all time. So yes. hit me with some thoughts. Oh man, just like that, um, some thoughts. It's hard for me. I made no notes over this because I've seen it so many times. I have a Beetlejuice tattoo on my forearm. I have yes, memories of sitting on my kitchen counter as a child and asking my mom to paint my face as Beetlejuice. Um, there was a really cool Beetlejuice show at Universal Studios where he took all the classic Universal monsters and turned them into glam rockers. Like, I just, (laughs) I love this so much, but I think what I love most about it is, um, I don't know, man. There was a time in my life when I, like, wanted to be Beetlejuice. Like, I hear Michael Keaton, like, everything he says, it's like he was born to say it. You know, like, it's it's every line he delivers is stupid good. And I just wanted, like, a zinger for every situation. I wanted to be the master of every situation I was in. And I think what really caused me to fall in love with this movie on a deeper level was when I realized I'm not Beetlejuice, I'm Lydia Dietz. Um, mm-hmm. I am a depressed kid from a family he doesn't relate to. Um looking for surrogate parents who are more like me 
and finding my reasons to live through reparative relationships, man. Um, I think this movie, like, this is what I love most about it. For as much as it romanticizes death, um, it is a very life-positive movie. I was going to say pro-life. <laughs> I was like, wait, no, 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 no. Um, <laughs> it's a very life-positive movie. Um, in the sense that, like, like, there's this line that always stands out to me when, like, um, Beetlejuice is saying, I'm trying to get out of the afterlife. And Lydia goes, I'm trying to get in. And Beetlejuice, like, in a very sincere way, goes, why? <laughs> like, you know, like, and then you have adam and barbara being like dude being dead does not make your problems any easier like like it's just so it's so inspiring and i cry man i cry i have a tattoo of the moment i cry at lydia coming home from school and doing the dance um just because i'm like dude she fucking did it lydia deets did it um i think this is the universe telling me i can do it too um, it means mm-hmm. it means a whole lot to me, man. And I just I, I find no fault in this movie whatsoever. And every time I watch it, I get a little bit of a deeper appreciation for it because I really do think there is more there than this movie gets credit for. There's just so many nice little touches and deeper inferences you can draw. Um, like for example, when they say like uh, when Otho says, "I hear people who kill themselves become civil servants in the afterlife." Um, if you pay attention, all of their caseworkers are, are uh, suicide, died by suicide. Um, so, uh-huh. like, you know, like, there's just, like, stuff like that that was true. Um, Beetlejuice died by suicide. He hanged himself very incompetently. Um, and that's why he used to be Juno's assistant. There's this, like, really intricate story world that they've built that has a lot of nice little, little uh, tips and turns. So... But man, I'm interested. I've made a whole YouTube video about Beetlejuice. I talk too much about Beetlejuice anytime anyone brings it up. I want to hear your thoughts as a first-time watcher who doesn't have this like childhood love for and this adulthood mental health coping relationship with this movie. I just want to hear like a guy going into Beetlejuice watching it for the first time. Give me your thoughts. Yeah, it's it's like I said. I I didn't have a lot of hope going in t- blind to a tim burton film yeah. i knew you liked it i knew you loved it i knew this was a f- an absolute favorite of yours so i was a lot more open to it than i think i normally would have been this is a movie i just it just missed me in childhood mm-hmm. right i didn't feel the sort of connection that you're talking about with lydia specifically like i don't feel like i'm you know relating to the characters in the same way that you are because sure. we we had different we've had different lives of yeah. course so it only makes sense i don't really see myself as a lydia deets type at all i think i relate more to adam i guess <laughs> uh, but that didn't stop me from just being in awe of the absolute creativity and the execution of everything here this is there was a strong creative vision for this movie and it was carried out flawlessly like every decision made was executed in such a perfect manner that i just got to respect every piece of it and it's it's a fun kind of creativity too it's not just like oh my vision came through and it's boring and sucks and only i can get it it's it's very accessible despite like how off the wall it can be it's off the wall on purpose 
but it's not shutting you out from having a good time with it absolutely man and like you've got to remember too this is like culture's first introduction to tim burton like all this shit that's in this movie that's very tim burtony wasn't tim burtony when it came out we just called it fresh and exciting you know <laughs> like mm-hmm. like I, and i think that's why i can like uh like I, I i in my tattoo there's a big sandworm on it and i i've never really liked the sandworm aesthetic because it's it's uh it's too tim burtony for me you know like i i'm like uh, i, I like didn't really guys. want that on the tattoo but the artist did such a damn good job i i, I stuck with it you know like i thought it mm-hmm. looked really cool but i was like oh i don't want to be the guy with a fucking sandworm tattoo you know <laughs> like but like this wasn't like cringe hot topic overkill at the time that beetlejuice was made this was very very new um good point yeah <laughs> If I were to say that this is the best horror comedy ever made, would you agree with me? I would have to think about it. How would I compare it to, like, Cabin in the Woods? Or, uh, I'm, I'm drawing a blank here, but, like, all time? Mm-hmm. Maybe. I would say so. I think it's definitely the most creative horror comedies. Like, yeah. You think horror comedy, I, I, I would think of, like being sarcastic about death and like that's the extent of the comedy yeah it's just like in the face of the macabre just being like oh i guess this guy's gonna die now yeah oh brother nothing a little beheading couldn't fix and <laughs> it's like stuff like that and this this takes it to a, a more colorful level yeah. visually and um atmospherically i guess well yeah i mean like how do you get like in your creative process how do you start with okay we need to have them haunt everyone and then like you know of all the ideas you and i would have if you asked us to write like a ghost haunting people scene how many would we come up with before we were like all right they'll put on harry belafonte make them do a dance against their will and then shrimp hands will grab their faces you know like there's just (laughs) so much like it's a one of a kind scene man it's a one of a kind scene and i marvel at it every time i see it and the thing is, like, it would take us forever to get to that point. And then they take it a step further by having the family not scared of it, but marveling at it. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, can you believe what happened to us? We can probably profit off of this. Yeah. That's so fucking funny. <laughs> yes, it's awesome. It's awesome, man. Um, it's such an easy entry point for an audience that's like, I'm a, I'm a little sissy baby. I'll say it. I'm a yellow belly coward, so I don't want to be scared all the time. So having characters that are intentionally trying to scare one another and it just keeps not working, it makes me have more fun with it. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, I mean, like, you know, this is what I love and why I would recommend it for Halloween night because it's such a change-up where it's like, it's such spooky vibes, but there's nothing about this movie that's genuinely scary. Um, mm-hmm. and I think it's so perfect in that. That's just like what I'm always in the mood for, you know, like as a Disney's haunted mansion enthusiast, you know, there's not a lot of stuff out there that like gets this spooky without like jump scares or murder, you know, like it's, it's just, mm-hmm. it's beautiful and it's fun and it's good natured. Um, and it surprises me because the making of this movie was such a clusterfuck. 
Um, to the point that, like, <laughs> I read the script, Greg, and I had to put it down. Because it pissed me off so much because I thought it was so poorly written. Um, oh, wow. Like, they were two weeks into shooting this movie and Michael Keaton wasn't cast yet. Like, the scene where he's, like, the banister snake. Um, yeah. It, they had to go back and put his face on it afterwards because that was shot before Michael Keaton was Beetlejuice. Holy shit. It's just like, it's a miracle. This movie's a miracle because they did like everything wrong and then made this all-timer of a classic. <laughs> I didn't I didn't get that feeling. Yeah, no, like, not it all, at all. It all feels very well planned and thought out. Yes. So I didn't, that's, that's kind of a surprise for me to hear that. I can't believe it's as sloppy of a production as it was, <laughs> you know, because like, I'm telling you, man, it's it's pretty airtight. Like, and I'll, I'll get into a little bit later some even more airtight things that um, that I noticed. Um, but you know what I would expect more of in this movie, Greg? You know what I, I'm hmm. always surprised there's so little of? Beetlejuice. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Did you notice that? He's like barely Very in the movie. Very good point. He's in it a lot less and outside of like that finale scene in the third act he's mm -hmm. really not it doesn't seem like he's super critical to the plot of what's going on at all he's really not like he's he's really kind of a deus ex machina <laughs> like they just give him some interactions in in the earlier parts of the movie but he has less than 20 minutes of screen time like in the entire oh, movie it's insane and this is like what like an hour 40 something, something close to that it's not it's not very long yeah so it's still a pretty low percentage of screen time for the titular character yes that's, that's pretty well but it's just like every move he makes is such an out of the park home run that you feel like he's what the movie is about when he's really not he's not like the focus of this movie oh yeah well like when adam and barbara finally meet him for the first time they shrink down into the model and he like introduces himself to them mm -hmm. he's so larger than life that it feels like the movie's been about him the whole time yes especially Dude. when he's like how do we know you can really scare people and then we don't even see the face he makes with all those little <laughs> can i be scared <laughs> like <laughs> we can only imagine what they looked at God. it's funny it's got this creepy kind of scariness to it it oh, really brings a new note to the movie that he just stays on so well. Yeah, man. It's a perfect performance, a perfectly written character. And he was originally pitched to be a Middle Eastern man who spawns bat wings and rapes people. That was the production version of Beetlejuice. And Interesting. Pitched titles for the movie were House Ghost and Scared Sheetless. Um, <laughs> so I think that, like, this is a movie where the titles just like if this movie was called fucking house ghost come on mm -hmm. like same mm -hmm. movie same exact movie change nothing but call it house ghost it's a hidden gem at best right like but for some reason because you just nailed it with calling it beetlejuice even though you didn't really have a solid reason to do that right mm -hmm. <laughs> like it's just so perfect <laughs> it just works so well no, absolutely. Um, do you have any other Hit me thoughts? with a note. A note? No, you didn't I, have I any notes. No notes. That's right. I made no notes. That's right. I really like the waiting room yeah. when they draw the door. It's just this really funny thing of just seeing a bunch of 
post-life people, mm-hmm. and you could, without them even saying anything, you could tell how everybody died in that room. Yeah. And it's all just such creative ways, like the hunter with the shrunken head, mm-hmm. stuff like that. It's That's just so, it's awesome. so funny to me. You know, uh, Beetlejuice's scene in the waiting room was added in after test screenings because you weren't really supposed to like Beetlejuice and the audience loved him and wanted to know what happened to him. So they had to give him a little Mm. bit of an epilogue uh, just to satisfy audiences. That maybe did feel a little bit added in and that would track with exactly what you're saying. I feel like people would really endear themselves with the titular character a little bit more than maybe planned, especially given what he was originally supposed to do when production started. Yep. So yep. no, they were just gonna he, have him he got better. get eaten by a sandworm and fuck off. No more Beetlejuice. Like that's that's what they were gonna do. Like that's how that's how Michael Keaton brought something to life, you know. And I I wish his career had kind of kept going this way because if you see him in like Night Shift or some of his earlier works, he's this like really charismatic borderline Jim Carrey type. Um, and that's not who he ended up playing because after this movie he does Batman, right? Like, and and he yeah. ends up uh, taking a complete direction shift in the type of roles he accepts. Uh, I think Beetlejuice is his finest fucking hour, man. Like, he's a goddamn legend in this movie. I, I've never seen a performance and character match like Michael Keaton as Beetlejuice. It, it's so perfect to me. I could just gush about it forever. And I wish you would. Uh, one thing I do want you to gush about, though, it's something I noticed very early on, but I think it really stood out when uh, the caseworker, Juno, mm-hmm. she's smoking a cigarette and the smoke starts coming out of the cut in her neck. Yes. This is a practical effects showcase. Yes. Man, this is terrific. I kind of wanted you to speak on that. Like, how did they get that flattened man a talking face? I don't it's know. It's incredible. I don't know. I know that Tim Burton wanted the effects to be B-horror looking. Like when like Adam and Barbara are like ripping their faces off and contorting themselves into Tim Burton creatures. I don't know how else to describe what they do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I don't know that much about the, the practical effects side of this movie. Um, I do think it's brilliant. Even like, you know, like looking at the ground when they're in the model, you know, like looking at like the fake grass mm-hmm. and like the the, the uh, particle board that they have to dig through to get to Beetlejuice's grave. And um, the cardboard. Yeah, all of that. It's so awesome, man. It's so damn awesome. Um, there's just something that feels so real and alive about this movie. Yeah, it really does feel like they're in that model. Yeah. It's so cool. Like, <laughs> and they barely used the set, which blows my mind. You know, like that they would do that much work for something that's in the movie for like a scene and a half, right? Like, mm-hmm. crazy, man. Crazy. I know you're a huge sucker for set design. So yes. For a movie that takes place basically in like two places, two yeah. or three places. The inside of the house, which changes dramatically. Yes the model which is also inside of the house but we just get shrunken down to it and then like the afterlife waiting room (laughs) bureaucracy area it's just everything's so strikingly different and like easily easy for us to invest in the location of everything Mm -hmm. i love the remodeled house me too once every once the deets is fully move in and everything it looks a little bit Flintstones. It looks a little bit... <laughs> it's Tim Burton's it, Flintstones. 
It's peak early nineties. Yes. Well, Even though it was eighty eight. Yeah, but this say. is supposed to be like a, a trendy, forward thinking artistic uh family. Of course yeah. they caught on to some trends early. Yes. Dude, how about that Catherine O'Hara as Delia Dietz? I really loved her, man. God. We talked about uh Kevin McAllister. How about Mrs. McAllister? Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. I thought she was awesome in this. Uh she's just like between this and home alone just like she's just got that perfect 90s mom yes like 90 like 91 like late yes. 80s early to mid 90s she's just got that perfect mom vibe for that era and i like her performance because in the between both franchises or this movie and that franchise she's just got that perfect panic face yeah i guess Man, I've never seen a Catherine O'Hara performance that I wasn't just a massive fan of. She's so good. She's so good. She stands out in a movie that has fucking Alec Baldwin, Gina Davis, Michael Keaton, Winona Ryder, Jeffrey Jones. We don't talk about Jeffrey Jones. Um, and Glenn nope. Shadix. <laughs> um, dude, it's so good. She's so... And, like, there's nice little notes with her character, too. Like, there's a moment where she tells Lydia... Um, like, you have to stand up for yourself. You have to take the upper hand in all situations or, or people will walk all over you and take advantage of you. And I'm like, they didn't just make her evil. They gave you that little hint that, like, she's been through some shit and she's overcompensating with these, like, horribly developed coping skills, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, and they give so many nice little things like that. And I was happy. I don't know if you noticed at the end. She's on the cover of, like, an art magazine. I'm like, hey, even Delia got a little something in the happy world. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is a textbook happy ending. Mm-hmm. For sure. Very earned, if you ask me. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. It's not just, like, the song and dance number to let the kids know the movie's done. It feels, like, genuinely earned. And, like, the characters are just, like freely expressing themselves like experiencing a new kind of life yeah. it doesn't feel hammed in as much as you know uh other features with a similar like target audience yeah <sighs> well man honestly i feel like i've kind of said my piece about beetlejuice do you have anything else to say i made a whole youtube video for my like more thorough thoughts even yeah go watch the youtube video guys i'll be doing it very shortly uh i don't really have much else on the movie if you're ready to yeah, I mean, gimmick it up i can just jump for into a touch. gimmicks yes sir um, all right greg what is your favorite trick and treat uh it's not what is it tnt it's not trick and treat it's trick or treat tot tater what's your favorite tater tot <sighs> napoleon dynamite <laughs> uh, my favorite trick that rich couple that got knocked through the ceiling like they were the uh, <laughs> ringing the bell in the carnival game. And then they're just gone. And then they're just they're gone. Just they, just get they never come back. Like, that's how they, they got rid of them. Ejected through the ceiling, and they're like, oh, boy, this is cool and fun. <laughs> Later, and Robert Goulet. <laughs> and then, ah, they're gone. Uh, my favorite treat is more of a treat for me, a visual treat. The miniature model of the town. I think I said last episode how much I love miniatures. And this is a great town miniature that uh, fortunately the characters get shrunken down into, which yes. is like, ah, uh, incredible. I love it. I love it. Miniatures It's are a awesome. treat for me. It's Hell a visual yeah. treat. Um, well, 
let me see. I'm gonna say my favorite treat is just it's gotta be it's gotta be Lydia dancing in the air with the football team ghost. You know, like mm-hmm. uh, that. That's I, I've already I've already gone into that. That just makes me so happy. Um, my favorite trick is a screenwriting trick that I didn't notice until this time. This is something new I noticed. Um, Otho is always sensitive to the ghost. Um, there's mm-hmm. like times where like. Adam and Barbara will run by Otho and Delia, and Otho, Otho will be like, did you feel something? Um, and she'll be like, yeah. no, I didn't. Um, and there's another instance where, like, he, he he's clearly sensitive to them, and that is why he is able to perform the seance at the end. Uh, because Otho also notices the strange and unusual. Um, that's just something mm-hmm. that I, I'd never, in a, as many times as I'd seen this, I didn't know that they gave us a little setup for Otho being sensitive to the supernatural. So that was a nice little trick they pulled, uh, just kind of uh, Chekhov gunning that earlier in the movie. Very, very, <laughs> very subtly. Um, what is your favorite line, Greg? I had a runner-up. I've got two. I, I'm going to... I guess I'll pick my favorite now. Uh, I'll give my runner-up to Beetlejuice saying... Uh, a word that I was not expecting here. Nice fucking model. <laughs> I forgot PG movies. We could s- drop an f bomb in there. Yep. Uh, but my favorite one is Adam first discovering the handbook, and he says, "The handbook for the recently diseased." Barbara corrects him and says, "Deceased." And then they do a double beat on the score. They do a like da da both times. <laughs> so good. Handbook for the recently diseased. Da-na. Deceased. Da-na. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great, man. What about you? What's your favorite line? Well, I wanted to comment on your runner up because um I sit through a lot of continued education workshops and they always have stuff like model for trauma recovery, model for uh healthy living in, in my career of counseling. Um, and I want you to know that every single time someone presents some sort of mental health model, I am tempted to scream, nice fucking model! <laughs> to the delight of no one but myself. And then grabbing your crotch and going, <laughs> It's always on my mind whenever someone has a model presentation. Um, that makes me happy. Man, my number one... Um, I even say it before I do EMDR with people sometimes, just because it's so fucking slick. Runner up to another slick one, I'm the ghost with the most, babe. I just love the way he says it. Mm. Um, (laughs) I'm going to go with, uh, now let's turn on the juice and see what shakes loose. Uh, What a Mm -hmm. fucking cool line right before you are about to turn yourself into a banister snake. Greg, what's your uh, what's your critic score, brother? Oh man, I I don't really have any complaints on this one. It is a really great time. This is a ultimately at, at the end of the day, it's not really a movie made for me, but I do enjoy it a lot. Like I I'm sad that I missed out on this one. I think I would have enjoyed it a lot more as uh, someone much younger, but. Even at 32, I'm still having, you know, a lot of fun with it, and I'm finding myself enjoying it quite a bit. Speaking of 32, that is my score. I gave it a 32 out of 40. Hey, nice segue. By accident. 
I'm, I'm glad you liked it enough to give it a 32 because I was like, I've really built this up. And if you're not me, are you really going to like this movie that much? Because Greg's not mm-hmm. me. He might not like it that much. I might have really overhyped it. So I'm glad you I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm glad it got in the 30s for you. The hype was warranted, and I felt like I understood why you liked it. And I didn't expect it to like it in the same ways as you. Yeah. And yeah, came out of it very pleasantly surprised i mean yeah this uh, is what about you what's your score love affair with this movie for me i wouldn't expect you to just match that on one watch in your 30s yeah exactly um, there you go <laughs> all right i'm gonna overrate this a little bit i'm giving it bonus points um this is a 47 out of 50 um two two significant bonus points i'd really honestly give it a 45 um that's where i put like my really really good blockbusters like jurassic park but they're not like that substantial you know like that's that's about where it hangs out um it gets a bonus point one bonus point because the subtext is there if you look for it and there's so much to extrapolate from this movie um and it's Mm -hmm. very airtight and it all makes sense um except a few things they just don't explain um (laughs) but like how did adam and barbara get better at haunting I don't know. They read the book. Fuck off. Shut up. Did you have fun? Stop asking (laughs) questions. Um, And uh, it gets another bonus point for helping me get through life and being tied for my favorite movie ever made. So that I think I don't give out a lot of bonus points. I'm giving them to my favorite movies. Um, 47 out of 50 might be a little high, but I'm standing by it. Perfect. Yeah. No complaints there. Well, Greg, what's the best movie for when it's Halloween night? I've been thinking about this, and it's it honestly depends on what kind of Halloween you're having. Mm-hmm. If you're having a little bit of a party, a bunch of lights on, the decorations are going, drinks are flowing, trick-or-treaters are knocking at your door, I would say 1,000% put on Beetlejuice, have a fun time. But if it's the kind of Halloween where all of the lights are off, trick-or-treaters are going to scare you, Texas Chainsaw Massacre would take it in kind of a more traditional sense if you're not expecting anybody and if it's just like you and maybe your partner or a couple of friends looking to get scared on halloween night go with texas chainsaw Mm -hmm. so yeah there's a there's a huge caveat of what kind of halloween night are you having very well very well um i would kind of agree with you there uh honestly i would say any of these movies is acceptable for a halloween night watch yeah that's not to say nightmare on elm street wouldn't be a fun time for either scenario yeah but here's why i'll go with my winner nightmare is not particularly halloween oriented you could watch it any time of the year and it would be fine um Mm -hmm. texas chainsaw massacre has too much daylight in it for me to watch it on halloween night nothing to do with how scary the movie is or how much it fits the tone of the day too bright Mm -hmm. too bright of a movie disqualifies it for me as someone who likes to have a chill, spooky night where I'm greeting lots of trick-or-treaters with the lights low and we're all just having a good time, Beetlejuice on Halloween night for me. Uh, but I actually hey. usually watch it October 1st because uh, it kicks off the <laughs> season for me. And then I watch it several yeah. more times. Um, well, Halloween is on a Monday this year, so, you know, might close out spooky season that way. Yeah, baby! Might uplift your spirits from the dreaded monday holiday oh i've already got plans i'm going to see rocky horror at alamo baby goddamn right baby hell yeah that's awesome yep well greg we're taking a week off 
this closes spooky season for us. Thank you for joining us on our spooky adventure audience. We love you. <sighs> Thanks, everyone. Greg, we're taking a week off to recalibrate and to get all the demons out of our bodies. Um, <laughs> what is uh, what are we doing after that? I, you know, I've I've got to cover my two favorite movies. That doesn't seem fair. You're right. It doesn't seem fair. It also doesn't seem fair that you're keeping that Beetlejuice uh, impression under your belt this whole time and you just now whipped it out because that was really good I'll, I'll tell you something that might make you like it less a beetlejuice impression is just an elvis impression oh boy it's just michael keaton doing elvis it's actually not that amazing <laughs> come on <laughs> oh, oh, oh. it's elvis whoa you got the voice for it though oh oh, oh. <laughs> this guy's got <laughs> sandworms coming out of him all right um yeah so when we come back, we'll take a week off. We've discussed two of Denny's favorite films. So we are going to be kicking off a series that I'm sure we will repeat every so often with our favorite movies. It's movies for when you have to talk about your favorite movie. And that's, this won't be a uh, you know something we do for three straight weeks like we were kind of laying out at the beginning of the show. This will just be a one-off episode before we start a new series to be determined. So the one-off episode for Movies for When You Need to Talk About Your Favorite Movie is going to be my favorite movie of all time, No Country for Old Men. It will be a solo movie episode. First we'll of talking many. About my first of many. And I will probably be doing most of the talking because it is my favorite movie and I have a lot to say about why. Ooh. And I can't wait to get into it. It's going to be nice and relaxing to only watch one movie and have the time to really flesh out my thoughts on favorite film so we've already talked about favorite films on here between two of them for the last couple weeks everything everywhere all at once like we've discussed some high rated moons and this will be a great opportunity for us to like visit some absolute bangers yep stuff that tops our charts and we already talked about mandy so yep oh we haven't talked about alien or i've been wondering you know. if you're gonna do alien like I've been, I've been looking forward to it. The poster is right, right there. It's know, right, right here. I know, right there. It is. Well, I guess it's about time for us to sign off, and honestly, to end, uh, to end an era of movies for when this is the end of the beginning, people. Um, we have done about eighteen months of three movies a week, with a few exceptions, uh, and it has been a hell of a ride. Thank you for joining us as we're entering a new era. We hope you'll stay with us and we hope it'll be even more accessible and even more enjoyable for you because we know it's going to be more enjoyable for us because we're exhausting ourselves watching three movies a week every week. So, uh, Greg, do you have any thoughts on this end of an era? Anything you want to say? Uh, it's been a fun and wild ride. And yeah, at the end of the day, it's just about what's better for us. This whole podcast was basically just born from doing stuff that we want to do. We're just having fun for ourselves, and if we're not truly doing that, if we take an honest look, then it's time to shake things up a little bit Absolutely. and still have fun with it. So, appreciate everybody's patronage and patience, all that. It's not like you guys can also watch three movies a week if you haven't seen these, so there you go. <laughs> Hell yeah. Well, spooky season's over. Science fiction double feature. Frank has built and lost his creature. Darkness has conquered. 
Brad and Janet, the servants have gone to a distant planet. What else is there to do, Greg? Well, Black Adam would demand a catchphrase from you. Dost thou have any final words? Well... I, I will guide thy catchphrase. <laughs> Good, because I'll do it for you, but not for Black Adam. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> For Gregwork the Legwork Johnson, I'm Dinny the Talent Taylor, and this has been Spookies for When We've Already Scared You When. Stay spooky Ooh. and keep slaying monsters, my horrific humble homies, and we'll see you next Slag. year when the Spookies return. Oh, fuck, but you know what we didn't scare you? <laughs> What's my cage again? Stay